0: amen let's pray together thank you god for your awesomeness as we celebrate and lift up the name of jesus in this place may we experience god your power may we experience your grace the fullness of your love all that you have for us this day May it be a blessing unto us as we give all that we have unto you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Before I started the sermon this morning, I just wanted to let you know that uh, our friends, the Ogdens here in front, have a visitor with them from the Free Methodist Church of uh, Burundi, a teacher in the School of Business at SPU Sister University in Burundi. So, welcome. We're glad that you're here with us. Thank you. It's always good to have people with us from around the world. It's a beautiful thing. Now you've heard almost a year of sermons from me. For that, I apologize. You know, I grew up in Southern California in the 70s and 80s. And so surfing vernacular is a kind of common part of how I speak. But one of the other words I use awesome is awesome. And it's been pointed out to me a few times that I like that word awesome true, I do. And today's sermon is about awesome. Now, I remember growing up, there were some awe-inspiring moments I had, moments that are just kind of jaw-dropping, filled with awe. And so at the risk of dating myself, I'm going to invite you into my cultural zeitgeist so you can see some of the references that I thought were awesome. And they're both on video. So we're going to show you the first one. We got to make sure the audio is up so you get the sensation of the, one of the jaw-dropping moments I ever saw in sports as a young person. True disappointment for me, because he was playing against my Los Angeles Lakers. But an incredible feat in sports that had never been seen since. A two-handed layup, going with the right hand and for no reason whatsoever other than showing off, switching to the left hand and putting it in the hoop. An amazing jaw-dropping. After that play, you know if you were around and followed any sports, people were talking about Michael Jordan, about that move for weeks. That's one way we know things are awesome, when people talk about it after it happened. Now, in a different jaw-dropping moment, when I was 12 years old, this revelation happened. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me it now. He told me you, No, I am the father. Oh. who you know it to be true. No! no! That's what we were all saying in the theater. No! No! Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father? Spoiler alert. For a movie that's 43 years old. Princess Leia is Luke's sister, by the way. You didn't know. Sorry to ruin it for you. (laughs) When that happened in 1980, people talked about it for weeks, that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father. One of the ways we know something is awesome is by how how long it lasts. It's, It's kind of enduring ring among us. So, let's turn to Acts 2. Are people talking about God that way? With that sense of awesomeness? That sense of power and manifestation? Building off of what we talked about last week on Pentecost Sunday, that the Holy Spirit comes on the church and pours out this power upon the earliest church. 120 people gathered in a room in Jerusalem. And it was through them that the world changed. And here we are practically 2,000 years later living in that very world that was augmented and changed by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Was it awesome then? Well, if we read Acts 2, yes. And people are still talking about it 2,000 years later. The question I would have for all of us as a church and the church writ large is are people still talking about that awesomeness? That awesome manifestation of God's power and grace and love in the world, is that still being talked about? Well, it is inside here today, but the question is is whether it's being talked about outside of these walls today, whether it's being talked about in the world around us. I want to talk today about how God is awesome and how God strikes awe into us. We're continuing our series of messages today called Renew which is a series of messages on how to experience a spirit-centered life. And it begins for us first with this, as we learn in the text from Acts 2 that Carol read a moment ago, that we have to start by asking the right question. Now, the right question happens at the end of Peter's sermon. On that first Pentecost Sunday, the Apostle Peter gets up, preaches a sermon. When he's done with the sermon, he's finished. And then all of the people that are there look at him and say, what are we to do that's the question and in many ways that's the right question what are we to do having heard and seen the manifestation of the holy spirit having witnessed the preaching of the apostle peter what are we to do now there were other questions they asked before this when the holy spirit was first poured out upon the 120 gathered in that room in jerusalem One of the questions people asked, are these not a bunch of Galileans? How is this possible? That was one question they asked. And then later on, they asked another question. What does this mean? What does this mean? And now we get to their question at the end of Peter's sermon. What are we to do? Asking the right question is everything. And often when we hear that question, what are we to do? The thing that we typically speed dial up as followers of jesus is say well we're going to do what we always have done we're going to do what we've always done and perhaps god is moving in a new way and is inviting us to not do what we've always done that's disturbing perhaps god is asking us to do that which we have not always done now When we talk about this reality, we have to remember that we're holding a tension. The tension between holding on to the way we've always done things and the tension toward we have to innovate and do something new. The solution isn't one or the other. The solution is actually both. We have to figure out a way to hold on to the important things of who we are as God's people as a part of our tradition and our history. But yet we have to be willing to move into the spaces in which God is inviting us and God is moving and prompting us. So our answer to the question, what shall we do, can't be do what we've always done. It has to simply be, how is God leading us in this moment? How do we respond to God's spirit speaking and moving in this moment? What are we to do? And so I invite you in this answer to that question, what are we to do? Just simply hold that tension. Try not to resolve it between doing what we've always done and doing something we've never done before. As I said, I've been with you almost a year. I've heard both since I've been the pastor of this church. I've heard a lot of, we've always done it that way. And I've also heard a lot of, we have to do something different. That's one of the things I appreciate about our congregation, I appreciate about our leadership team, is they're willing to try to hold that tension a little bit instead of just trying to solve it and fix it and just be one way or the other. That's not our path forward. There's a way to hold this together. So a question I would like to put before you that you might think about this week is this one. What question are you asking the Lord today? And how can that question be reshaped into what are we to do? What are we to do? So, asking the right question is an important place to start. It's the first step if we're going to try to put the ah back in awesome. Well, what's the second step we need to do? And it's this it's we have to let God do the work. We have to let God do the work. Now, in this story in Acts chapter 2, it says that the people said to Peter, What shall we do? And so Peter gave them some instructions and we'll get to that at the end of the sermon today. But before that, it said Peter continued to preach and exhort them. And then one of the exhortations Peter gave them was be saved from this perverse generation. That's one of the things we have to remember is to let God do the work, be saved from this perverse generation. So I'm going to take you down the avenue of eighth grade grammar. Is everyone ready? It's very exciting. That word in phrase where it says, be saved, that in the, the language of the New Testament, it's written in Greek, is called passive imperative. You're all thinking about your nap now, right? The imper- in Greek, there are six moods for different verbs, and this one is in the imperative mood. It's the mood of command. It's not the mood of invitation or wish or want, it's the mood of command. Because in Greek, when it's written in its ancient form, there are no punctuation marks. So how do, you, how do you write down, I need you to do this now? That's what the imperative mood is for. And then it's a passive imperative. Passive means that someone else is acting on the subject. See, the middle form would be I'm acting on myself. The active form is I'm taking some form of action. But the passive form is someone else is acting. And that's what Peter says. Be saved. Do we save ourselves? No. God is the one that does the saving work. Be saved. In other words, allow God to save. Invite God to save. So you have to let God do the work. Eighth grade grammar, lesson over. God is the star of the show. I'm going to say it again. God is the star of the show. Even though I'm standing up here, I'm not the star of the show. That's why I wear a bizarre Hawaiian shirt today. (laughs) I am not the star of the show. In some ways, we have to take the radical act of handing our church and our lives over to God. So to be honest, as we think about our future, even as a congregation, we're not going to plan our way out of it. We're not going to workshop our way out of it. We're not going to innovate our way out of it hmm, God is the star of the show. God is going to lead us into a new life and new beginning. And years later, we'll look back and say, wasn't God, say the word, awesome? Wasn't God awesome? Because if you say, wasn't Pastor Camille awesome? Wrong. (laughs) Love you to pieces, wrong. Wrong. Wasn't Craig awesome? Wrong. Wasn't God awesome? So what has to happen is we've got to take that future orientation of saying, wasn't God awesome? And pull that into the present. And say, isn't God awesome today? Because we know what God is doing today is awe-inspiring and will bring us to a point where we look back and say, that was God being awesome in our midst. So friends, It's not a matter of praying enough, seeking enough, or working hard enough. Our lives have to bear witness that we are God's work, that we are not a self-improvement project. We are God's work, and God showed up in an awesome sort of way. Let God do the work. So a question we could wonder about this week, how am I allowing God to work in and through me? And what signs or practices am I using to yield to God's Holy Spirit? Christian spirituality is essentially an act of cooperation. God is moving. Our work is to let God move. And that doesn't mean we become inert. It simply means we see what God is doing We see how God is speaking. We see how God is moving. And we get on board with that. We let God move in our midst. All right, so we've got the first two. Ask the right question. Let God do the work. Third, make the main thing the main thing. See, you're reading well. The survival of our church is not the main thing. You know that 10 years ago, three times as many people worshipped here on a Sunday. Some of you were here then. The survival of our church is not the main thing. Neither is getting more families, more children, or others to come here. That is not the main thing. That might be the fruit of the main thing, but it's not the main thing. I want to introduce to you a scholar I've gotten to know quite a bit over the last few years. This is Andrew Root, teaches at Luther Seminary, teaches practical theology there. And Dr. Root has written a good number of books. One of them that I'm finishing up right now is called The Church in the Age of Decline, or Churches in the Age of Decline. And here is what Dr. Root writes about this idea of not letting the main thing be the main thing. He says, most denominational churches and congregations have succumbed to the temptation to make themselves the star of their own story. They've made themselves their own idol by holding their own survival, next slide, or growth, really the same thing, as their deepest longing, and Root writes this in parentheses, Protestantism has become its own worst nightmare. That stings, doesn't it? It hurts somewhere like over here, I think. Sometimes it may hurt even right here. You see, the, the, the drive that the American Protestant church has to grow and to multiply and do all these things, much of that is grounded in American consumerism. It's not grounded in a theology that's rooted in the awesomeness of God. If you continue reading the book of Acts, it says again and again and again that God added to their number. They did not add to their own number. God added to their number. The awesomeness of God did the work. They did not. So what in the heck is the main thing? It's in Acts 2.42. Keep the main thing the main thing. Here's the main thing. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Very quickly. The early church devoted itself to the apostles' teaching. This is the place of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in the church. How do we speak and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's the apostles' teaching. Number two, it says fellowship. That's the Greek word koinonia. Heard it before? We have one of our adult classes is named koinonia. It's the Greek word for fellowship or community. It's actually a very difficult word to translate out of Greek into English. Because it's more than just being a community, it's about a community of deep relationships. It's about a level and a degree of intimacy together, which has to do with the third thing they did, the breaking of bread. Now, some people think this is code language for that they had communion together. They likely did have communion, but it actually literally meant they ate meals together. In the ancient world, to sit down and have a meal with another person was an intimate act. It wasn't a distant act. It was an intimate act. A matter of fact, Jews would never eat a meal with Gentiles because they considered it would make them unclean. Who you ate with told a story about who you were. Who you ate with told a story about who you were. And so they broke bread together. That's who they were. And the last thing they did, they prayed. Number four. Acts chapters 1 and 2 and onward tell us about how the early Christians would pray in the Jewish temple every day. They devoted themselves to prayer. That's the main thing. The main thing is actually four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So here are the questions, or the question I'd like you to wonder about this week. How am I... Or are we holding the apostles' teaching, fellowship, meals, and prayer in balance? How are we holding those four things in balance? So my friends, if we let God do the work because we've asked the right question and we keep the main thing the main thing, the Holy Spirit brings the awe. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, this. Everyone kept feeling a sense of, what's the word, everyone, in small print? Ah. Ah. Everyone kept feeling a sense of ah. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Ah. Just soak it in for a minute. Ah. Not ah. (laughs) Ah jaw-dropping wonder amazement as we read about last week in the earlier part of Acts 2 the people watched what was going on and they were bewildered they were so awestruck by how God was moving in their midst it says in verse 43 of Acts chapter 2 that the Apostles were doing many wonders and signs We talked last week about how the outpouring of the holy spirit was about a supernatural manifestation of god's spirit in the world so typically as soon as you hear the pastor say supernatural you're like oh that means like that weird pentecostal stuff right everyone speaking in prophecy and in tongues and everything yes but supernatural manifestations of mercy justice compassion faith these are all gifts of the holy spirit that supernaturally manifest themselves through people's lives and the life of the church. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's about the rich diversity of who God has made us to be and bringing that diversity to bear in the life of the church. In verse 44, it says, They had all things in common. Oh, Americans. Oh, Oh, they had all things in common. Oh, don't say that. The early Christians sold what they had and they pooled their resources together. Why? To make sure no one in their community was ever in need. That's a different way of living. Oftentimes when we think about the way we give to the church or other places, we think about it in terms of philanthropy. It does have a nuance or a flavor of philanthropy, but it's born out of something else. It's born out of this deep desire to make sure that every single need within this community and every need this community has decided to engage is met. That's part of our awesome witness in the world, that every need is met, inside our community and out. During the first four centuries of the church, we learn, during the time the church lived underground practically during Roman oppression, is that the Christians were known for their charity, for their care for the sick, for the welcoming of strangers into their homes, for feeding people who were not part of their community, for taking care of orphans and widows. These were the signs of Christian community is that no one had a need when you came in contact with them. That's awesome. That's the kind of church I want to go to. Where there is no need in it. Everyone experiences the fullness of grace. Verse forty-five talks about how there's no one in need. Verse forty-six says there was gladness and sincerity of heart. Gladness, y'all smiling? Yes. Awesome. Gladness and sincerity of heart were their witness. Not division. Not fighting. Not combative culture wars. But what? Gladness and sincerity of heart. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so a question we might want to wonder about this week is this. How and where do you see these signs of God's awesome spirit? Being a renewed church begins with each of us having renewed lives. And so we start with that question. What are we to do? Well, Peter did answer that question after his sermon. He told them, what are we, he said, what are we to do? And he said, repent, be baptized, receive the forgiveness of sins, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Those are the instructions he gave them. Repent, be baptized, receive the forgiveness of sins, and be filled with the Spirit. And then Peter told them something wonderful, which I think is the central verse in the book of Acts. He says, the promise, this promise, is for you. It's for your children. It's for those who are far off. It's for everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. Turn around just for a moment and look at the people in front of or behind you. The promise is for you, for your children, for the person you were just looking at, for those who are far off, for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And the book of Acts is nothing more than the unfolding of that story. How that promise that was for you, for their children, for those who were far off, for everyone whom God will call themselves, that's the story of the book of Acts. That's an awesome story. It's an awesome story. And it's our story. So today I want to to bring us to the end of this sermon with time of prayer and an invitation for you. An, An invitation for you to experience the awesomeness of God today. There may be some of you who come into worship this morning, floated into this place on the first Sunday of June, and maybe you're asking that question, what do I do? Maybe it's the first time you've ever asked that question. I want to give you an opportunity today to repent, to be baptized, to receive the forgiveness of sins, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If that's you this morning, I want you to come forward later when we have communion, and I'm going to be up here to pray with you. I'm actually going to recruit Pastor Camille to pray with you as well. But there may be some of you here today that feel like you've repented, you've been baptized, you received the forgiveness of sins, but you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. You've never sensed that God has been free in your life to move and work, that fourth thing. If you want prayer for that, we're here to pray with you as well. Just let us know if you are praying that prayer for the first time to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you're coming to say, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you down with that? Awesome. I'm just kind of a strange kid from the 70s and 80s. And there's a deep part of me that sometimes thinks you just got to open up the Bible and read it. Try it. What could happen? What could happen? What could happen? Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks for this gift of your Holy Spirit. A gift that comes into our community and fills us and gives us grace and hope and life. We're so thankful for the Holy Spirit that's within us, within us as a community, within us as people, so that we might serve you now and always as we've been gifted by your grace. Lord, I know there are some here this day that have never in their lives asked you to come into their heart, to repent, to receive the forgiveness of sins, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray that right now that you continue to do a work in each and every heart that's in that place this day. And for others in this space, God, that are wondering what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, how can the Holy Spirit be released in my life? That question weighs heavy on their hearts. I pray, God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on them and on us. So we take this moment with deep seriousness, with recognition of being a people deep in need. Amen.